Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. It is a tad after 8 o'clock on a cold, wet and dark what is now autumnal to winter evening here in the UK. It is Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, episode number 42, November the 6th. Hindoff here at Hindoff Towers up in London. It's Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, we have some news, uh, just in English this week, none, none in Spanish. Okay. Uh, we do have a pointless press release of the week. We have a load of guests, including our big interview, which is with David Brabham. We'll be previewing the Race of Remembrance, the uh, WEC um, somewhere in Asia, uh, the Coated 12 Hours, uh, and we'll be looking back at what happened last weekend. Uh, and just to prove we're live, it's 2 0 at 1 2. And everything else is nil-nil. No, there's a 2-1. Is there? Yeah, Caroline State versus Duke. Ah, yeah, I wasn't looking at that, oddly. I was just looking at the Champions League. Uh, Nearly half-time. <laughs> in some places. Uh, let's have a look at... In North at, Carolina. Well, yes. Uh, at Speculatement, if you'd like to get in touch with us. Uh, Randy Brown was supposed to be having a day off, and he was supposed to be listening live, but he's been called into work, so... He said, you guys will have to join me on the, my commute like usual on the podcast. Can we have a window seat, Randy, please? We like to look out uh, as well. Kevin Payne is listening live this week. Apacho, I'm sure, plenty to cover. Not least 2021 20, regs and uh, Roger Penske buying everything. Uh, he's bought everything. Uh, he's even bought some of our guests tonight, apparently. Uh, what else have we got this evening on the Twitterage? Uh, hello to all Mission, Mission Motorsport regulars, particularly to Andrew, uh, and uh, welcome in. Uh, we'll be speaking, as we've said, to Jim Cameron about Race of Remembrance a bit later on. Uh, Matt Endine is AFA, apology for absence, checking his spotlights tonight, listening to the podcast on his work trip to Bath, or Bath, Bath. depending on where you come from. I think it's Bath. It's Bath. Excellent. Rob Jana, apologies, catching the podcast <clears throat> say this quietly while he's at work this week mm-hmm. okay that's fine uh, Brody is uh, EFA's uh, one or two small jobs to get done I'll catch you on the podcast tomorrow whilst Silver Cloud engine building oh how lovely Alan Space catching up the podcast in a day or two can't imagine what will be discussed on such a slow sm- show he says rather sarcastically uh, so who else have we got? I think that's about it for the moment. Sheepall. Ah, right. Marco Baronswad is at Sheepall. 
please spare a thought to all. Uh, clearly something going on there which I haven't caught up with yet. Ted the Toy Man, half apology for absence. Is that just an EF or an A? Uh, not sure. Uh, right turn, lovers tuned in. Chilly with a hint of fog in Monterey. Simon Hoff listening while painting a new model railway and hobby room. Excellent. Still kind of in shock, but not total shot over what Matt Hunter said in the uh, TRS Toy Radio Show. Says uh, Adrian Michael Reese. E-Racing tonight, says Iker. I'll be casting, but I'm listening tomorrow. Checking in on the collective. David Tubrews, Jules Outerbridge, listening in for the drive home. Sarah Rigby, Andrew Barca, listening live for the first time in ages. And more, including Alexander Orkin, uh, listening from a hotel outside of Daventry with a room service on the rear. Where you might as well have come here, Alex, to be honest. Uh, we'll catch up with some more of those. Do you charge, though? Uh, listen, here... Room service, you get it in this hotel here, in Hindhoff Towers. You get it for nothing. Uh, let's go to the top story. Shuffle the papers. When we say top story, this is a top story. It's a big story. It's so big, we nearly had to give it its own show. Tim? We might still do that. Okay. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. There is only one place to go for the top story this week, and it is, of course, a minor Northern European single-seater formula who have announced a new partial sponsor for pit lane equipment. Surely? And tyre deal. And tyre, and the tyres. We've got to play this audio. Really? Hello, I'm Victor Kayam. I used to be a dedicated wet shaver until my wife bought me this Remington M3 electric shaver. I was so impressed, I bought the company. Very good. Very good. So this must be the news then that Roger Penske, who is a dedicated IndyCar team owner, was so impressed. And Indy 500 visitor. He's been there every year since 1951 when he was 14 years old. And he's won a few times there as yeah. well. Just a few. And he was so impressed with it that he's bought the company, the racetrack, everything except the museum. In fact, well, the museum's owned by a charity, so correct, uh, not for profit, uh, but it's still funded by uh, IMS. Yep, uh, and uh, a bit more about that later. But first, here's Tony George on why the Holman George family is selling up. Over the course of business uh, through the years, we've always looked at strategic opportunities, things we might be able to do to grow and expand our capabilities here. Um, we're a 169, almost 170-year-old business, and we've been in a lot of different businesses during that time. We've been distillers, we've been brewers, we've been grocers, we've been produce, um, canned goods, just about everything, financials, um, utilities. But in 1945, in fact, about two weeks, uh, 10 days from now, be 74 years since that uh, last uh, transition of stewardship took place, and and we're very proud to have uh, come together uh, the last several months, I think, um, to make some very important decisions. Uh, one about an iconic asset that the family cares very deeply about as well, and that's Clabber Grill baking powder. But but now this one is extra special because. Uh, to all of us because we've all grown up around it. Um, Nancy and I, anyway, we, we came home from the hospital to a 
home just right, right down the street here. So we've literally grown up around it. Our kids and grandkids have done the same. So bittersweet, but very exciting for us because we know that we're passing the torch to um, an individual who has created an organization that is not only dynamic, but it's ideally suited, I think, to take over this stewardship. Um, a corporation that, that is family involved, um, much like ours, um, but with a track record that is really um, without compare. So we're very excited to um, be in a place where you know, our process took us to a point where uh, we as a family all agreed we needed to have a conversation with Roger Penske. And um, so I approached him at, at um, the final race of the season, not wanting to distract from the task at hand, which was uh, bringing home another championship. But I wanted to you know, wish him well on the grid, and I just simply said I'd like to meet with him and talk about stewardship. He got a very serious look on his face <laughs> and uh, followed up after he, he clinched this championship with a, an email and then another email the next morning, and we set it up. I invited Mark to join us for that meeting, and, and um, you know, kudos to both organizations who, who worked very closely together, uh, very quickly. Um, it was a pretty easy, um, not easy by any means, but, 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 but this isn't their first rodeo, or your first rodeo, your first rodeo, so they, they were able to execute around um, diligence very quickly, and uh, it led to a, uh, an announcement that miraculously, not many things are kept un under wraps around here, but this was fairly well contained, and we were able to really, I think, um, present this to the world this morning. Uh, well, Roger Penske and the uh, new Penske uh, Entertainment Corporation uh, are the purchasers. Uh, we'll talk, or we'll hear a bit from Roger Penske in a moment. But first, uh, we're joined by Declan Brennan. Good evening, Declan. Hello. How are you? Any insight into why you think uh, the Holman George family are selling at this point? It is hard to get a handle on that without i'm not immersed like i'm not like uh, if you're a media member uh, in the indianapolis area you might have a better idea of of the the inner machinations of this but i my impression is that as a family business it was uh, it, there there didn't seem uh, a willingness or an intent or a desire to keep it going they were selling he did mention tony george did mention there the sale of clabbergirl which is the baking powder business which was a significant business uh and that's what started it all for that family wasn't yes, it? effectively that's yes, where their, their their money had come from yeah and i get the impression they wanted to protect the business while not wanting to be in it anymore mm. so therefore that's the reason that it was not sold, for example, to a uh, a fund or a group of investors or somebody from uh, another uh, area of professional sport. It was sold within motorsport and within American motorsport and within its own paddock. 
And I think that opportunity uh, was too good to turn down in terms of protecting the legacy and the brand of IMS and the IndyCar series. That would be my take on that in terms of I don't absolutely, I couldn't, I certainly couldn't tell you the, the precise ins and outs of why, but I do get the impression that there was, from a family perspective, it was just time, it was time to to move on. Uh, it's been a, a fluid time for people who own racetracks and particularly uh, decks. We reported on this program recently the France family delisting uh, the ISC before that Bruton Smith took his tracks back into private control. Are we? Is this part of that trend, but just going in a different way? It was already in private control. It was already in the family control. So effectively, they've handed it off to someone else. Yeah, uh, that that's a great point. That there's well question. There was a desire for this to be put into into the safest possible pair of hands and uh, into an organization, and we'll come to this in a minute, into a much, much larger organization with a, a, a significant amount of other complementary businesses and skill sets that would allow the business to, to flourish. That's clearly the ethos and, and the, what underpins the decision the family made to do this. Uh, it does mean that that we we are seeing a consolidation of all of the major uh, components of American motorsport uh, into a small number of owners, and and that that's naturally that's happened over the last few years. But it's certainly now uh, even more of a uh, of a uh, of a uh, a reality than it had been. Uh, interesting, from what we heard there, Tim that Tony said that Tony George there said he went to approach Roger and ask him if if he was interested. Roger wasn't, I believe, the only interested party here. No, uh, two different uh, parts of the Liberty Group, Liberty Media and Liberty Global, uh, both put in uh, bids. Liberty Media is the uh, bit that owns Formula One. Liberty Global is a bit that owns Formula E. Um, one of them, and I not sure which one uh, said no to the asking price, which is a rumoured quarter of a billion pounds. Uh, although, obviously, neither uh, IMS nor uh, Penske will uh, confirm the price I'm, at this stage, I'm sure. I, I've we'll seen get anything. Some more links, uh, uh, leaks th- about that when it's completed in January. I've, I've, that's the cheapest I've heard. Um, I've heard anything from between one and two billion dollars, and I know the exchange rate is fluctuating in the moment, but that's not quarter of a billion quid. So, sorry, Dex, go ahead. Can I can I, can I join in? That's quarter of a bit. If it was quarter of a billion pounds sterling, uh, that's three hundred twenty-one. Three hundred twenty-one. Three hundred twenty-one million. Yeah. Million dollars. Yeah. Uh, that to put that in perspective, that's less than Atlanta FC is currently worth. A major league soccer club that just recently got valued at $500 million. Uh, and and Atlanta FC is two years old. Uh, it's not a 100-year-old a institution with a giant piece of land uh, and an entertainment a company built into it, mm. a race series... Uh, if, if, if television true, production if, company, radio yeah, station, and, 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 because we're talking about a, the farm here, a, the whole yeah, farm. Yeah, that's a 
astonishingly cheap. If if that's the case, if it's as low as that, and, I, and I'm I'm not going to dispute it, Tim, but I, I I would like to believe it's higher. That's absolutely almost farcically cheap. That would make you view the whole business as a mildly distressed asset. Well, let's Ed. let's let's explore that in a moment after we've heard what Roger Penske had to say at the press conference. I really have to wind back to 1951 when my dad brought me here and I was 14 years old. And I guess at that point the bug of motor racing, you know, got in my blood, I'd have to say. And to think about uh, what it's meant to our company, uh, the brand that we've been able to build, it's interesting. I talked to Mario Andretti today and talked to A.J. Foyt. We all agreed that, uh, you know, what the Indianapolis 500 has meant to us as, as individuals and his company, as, and certainly as our company. And I think that uh, what it really says that in the United States of America, that if you work hard and you're committed and you have a great group of people, you get great success. So today I hope my dad's looking down at me and looking at this group and say, son, you did a good job. So I've got a big commitment here to take over, to, certainly as the steward of this great organization and what's been done here in the past for so many decades. And, you know, it's my commitment to the, the Holman family, uh, to the fact that you'd select us as an opportunity to take on this uh, investment. Uh, it, it's amazing. And I just want to thank Tony and everyone else that's been involved in this. Certainly, Mark, you've got a great team. Uh, we don't have a gymnasium full of people to bring here. When we buy a business, we take, we look at the people, and the great thing is, We've rubbed shoulders with many of the people here over the years, so we've seen this organization grow, and uh, I certainly think that uh, uh, certainly IMS Productions does a great job. Uh, you know, what's happened today uh, with, with the media partners, and uh, there's just no question that we have the opportunity to grow, and the IRL will be, you know, one of the greatest series as we go forward. We look at uh, businesses that we invest in where we have domain knowledge, and I think the fact that we've been coming to this track for almost 50 years and seeing the growth of the series and understand the technology. And it's also a great business opportunity for us to, to grow it to the next level. And we look around, uh, you know, this thousand acres and we say, can this be the entertainment really capital, not only the racing capital of the world, but the entertainment capital of the world in Indiana and uh, be able to support, you know, the state, the governor, uh, the region, the city, uh, the town of uh, Speedway, and continue to grow it. So, uh, you know, we're going to invest capital. We know the economic benefit today that this race brings to the region is amazing, and we want to grow that. It's important to us. What I plan to do tomorrow, ironically, is to uh, walk the entire facility uh, and strategically sit down with the existing team and, and get their top ten. I always like to work from a top ten and see the things that we can do to make it uh, uh, fan-friendly. Uh, certainly from a competitive perspective, uh, uh, I'm planning to really step down from being a, a strategist on the pit box. You won't see me there on race day. Uh, I think I've got a bigger job to do now is to try to see how we can build a series to the next level. Uh, it would be nice to bring another uh, car manufacturer in. I know Jay Fry is working on that. Can we uh, have someone else come in to join the series? I think we, we look at the Speedway itself, the investment with the $100 million or the $100 million that was put in uh, a few years ago before the, uh, the 100th, I think you've seen a, a tremendous change. And we want to add capability 
Is there more fan zones? Uh, what can we use this for? Can we run a 24-hour race here? Can we run a Formula One race here? You know, what are the things that we can do? This is a great asset. And, uh, you know, once the tradition had been broken and adding the NASCAR race, which obviously we're going to get behind that in a big way because for 27 years they've run here. So I look at all of these across the board to see, you know, what can we do? This, this business is not broken. This is a great business. And the leadership team that's been here has done an outstanding job. And what we want to do is be a support tool. You know, we bought Michigan Speedway in 1973. It was bankrupt. You know, we built California. You know, we're running the Grand Prix or help present the Grand Prix in Detroit. So this is in our DNA. And I think that uh, with input from the media, uh, certainly input from our sponsor partners uh, and and all the teams, uh, I had a chance to talk to most of the teams today, the principals, and we're looking forward to getting together with the car owners and seeing what we can do to make IndyCar even stronger. And I think that's something that would be a priority for me. Remember, I'm going to be the new guy in town, so we're going to take those plans and uh, see if we can add anything to it that makes makes it better. But I think it, you don't build a business overnight. This didn't get to 300000 you know, in, in three or four years. So we have to be rational, you know, on our investment. But, uh, you know, we're interested in the economic development, uh, you know, in the community. The Hoosiers that support this, uh, you know, all over the state, you know, want to see this become and still be the iconic race of the world. So we're going to do this a step at a time. And I think that uh, we've got here probably the next 60 days. We're hoping to close this very early January based on all the regulatory things we go through. And I think at that time, we'll have had a chance to talk to all the leadership here and get some good input because, you know, this is this is obviously a chance for us just to add our support and our shoulder to make this better. Right. Now, uh, there's a few things I want to pick up on there. Um, the first thing I want to bring up that wasn't in that, and, and I'll, I'll bring this up, conf- potential conflict of interest. But in fairness, all the quotes I've seen from rival IndyCar team owners, Chip Ganassi, Bobby Rahal, they've all sort of deferred to Roger's commitment to the sport and what they're calling the stewardship of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway will ensure a good future for the sport. Declan Brennan is still with us. And Roger um, did address that in the uh, later on in a part of the quote that we didn't have time for, uh, where he said that he wouldn't be um, on the pit wall anymore. No, he did say that. We heard that. He said yeah. that in that in that piece. But that that I mean, but he's still a rival team owner, and uh, you, you know you can understand why that's been brought up um i'll come back to him calling it the irl in in a moment uh well no actually no let's start there the irl is that a slip of the tongue dex is that something we need to be worried about is there a potential name change for the ntt indycar championship Uh, and where is obviously you've got to be confident at a time like this the amount of time that you spent talking about it's not broke it's not a problem tends to make me think exactly the opposite. Um, how how broken is IndyCar? How broken is IMS? And how is Roger Penske going to attract what seems to be an awful lot of investment that he seems to think is out there and is needed? Well, it's, it's easy to dismiss that IRL thing as a slip of the tongue. And I don't. It's like that. That's like a fundamental problem is that if you can't sell the name of your open wheel series to one of its owners 
enough for him to remember it. In the biggest announcement mean? that your series is going to have for possibly half a dec- half a century. Yeah, or as Robin Miller said, for the last 50 years, and he gets the name of the series wrong. And uh, clearly people have dismissed it because it's Roger Penske and you have to, but that's worrying. That, that to me, is, a, is, is not the greatest sign in the world. It hasn't been called the Indy Racing League since the merger uh, slash takeover, which was 2008. That's uh, 11 years ago. So uh, I, the few things he said there that I wanted to pick up on about interesting that he now believes that he should be able to bring in a third manufacturer. They've been trying to do that since the, uh, is it 2012 or 2011? Since 2011 when we got the, 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 the new, shirt, new car, 2012, I'm sorry. Uh, There's uh, been a rumour of a... Um... I know of one really serious manufacturer who's been looking at it uh, and done more than just have a look where they've been doing um, proper studies about how an indie car engine can fit into a broader motorsport perspective. So there are people out there who are interested. But if I'm if I'm being brutally honest, the jewel in the crown is the Indianapolis property and the Indianapolis 500 surely and you know celebrated over 100 years of racing there how good a shape is that in and how big a commercial property is that now in the US well here's a, it's clearly a, a a giant property the 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 when you look at for example the the media interest the the public interest and the tv numbers uh, as a as just a, a one rule of thumb here or one way of gauging this uh, in, a, in a pretty straightforward way. And the, the numbers for the Indy 500 uh, dwarf everything else to the point where it doesn't really have uh, any relation to the rest of the series. The rest of the series is in itself is a, is a certain entity. And the Indy 500 is a different entity that happens to have a relation to the rest of the Indy car series. But, but it has a, as a, as a, as an event, it completely dwarfs everything else that it does. Very, very much like Le Mans dwarfs the WEC. Uh, you know, uh, so from that perspective, there's two dif- different jobs to be done. There's certainly, uh, in, in, some, in, some, in some ways, the, the role of, of keeping the Indy 500 and IMS going is one thing. Developing IndyCar is a separate deal altogether. Uh, and that's and here's the thing that jumps out at me, John, is if you think about the family, the way the family ran the business and the deals they've done over the years with small teams and local teams and various things that uh, have allowed them to put 33 cars on the grid every year. Under new stewardship, does that happen? Does that happen? Does the does you know? Do we do we get the same level of of do arms get twisted to give somebody an engine deal or loan them a chassis or to make sure that there's 33 cars on the grid now that it's going to be run in a different way it's not a family run business anymore it's part of a large corporation yes and a corporation that encompasses an awful lot of businesses and one of the things that I think you've got to say about this deal from a business level is that the Penske organization is broad, it's varied, and it holds quite a lot of clout decks 
that you know maybe the business to business relationships that the Penske organizer yes I know it's Roger Penske but you've got to, I think you've got to look beyond the individual here and look to what the Penske name is in terms of business we all know him as the race guy but he's a very successful businessman and he must be able to leverage some of these business to business deals surely well back to my point about the OEM uh, yes I think he will and he, he said it it wasn't in the audio but he did say and has said he now feels like he's adding ims to his portfolio which will allow him more power to sell to corporate america and that's now i don't know necessarily if that then means he he's a it's something he can uh, sell to benefit his all his other businesses and all his other racing uh, or is it something that he feels will uh, it's the whole you know the rising tide uh, floats all boats mm. is, is it going to mean that there's an, a, a, a way that he can bring in far bigger partners and uh, in a way that can be of much more benefit to the to the uh, in the 500 itself something you mentioned in our chat before this is that the level of partner that currently uh, it backs the indy 500 like a, a pen grade oil i think they've had recently and it's just it almost isn't commensurate with the event itself it no. needs larger bigger properties associated with it it'd be it'd be, it'd be like um mr ulo's jewelry shop being the uh, being the title sponsor to the Le Mans 24 hours in Le Mans city center that's what we're talking about here because that 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 is a local company that's been the title sponsor we've talked about it on on this show before a new era than dex uh, a new era where uh, the broadcast side of things is changing massively the broadcast was mentioned there ims productions uh, the tv and radio production company the, the days of the big television books uh, and rights fees are if not completely gone certainly waning and the way people consume sports now very different so a, a different business landscape than when Roger Penske went to the speedway when he was 14 and this is the biggest challenge of them all John is that that if you if you if you look at the reaction and, and it, this is completely related if you look at the reaction from somebody for example like Mario Andretti when he spoke to Robin Miller this week uh, in, a, in a piece Robin a for very, Racer uh, magazine very well yeah covered. absolutely yeah yeah, and, and Marshall wrote a great piece. Marshall wrote a great piece as well. But Mario's quote towards the end was, "In the big picture, Indian and IndyCar are going to benefit from it, and team ownership could also benefit. And wealth totally lost from the split could be brought back." Said Andretti. He needs success because that's what he's all about. I want to go back to that. That and wealth totally lost from the split could be brought back. That's not going to happen. That isn't. That is absolutely. That's that is a crazy assertion to make. For a number of reasons, economically, the landscape is completely different. Uh, TV numbers have vanished. NASCAR ex- exists in a way and is bigger than 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 you know because you know that happened after the split. That was happened because of the split. Mm. Uh, TV advertising spend has changed completely. People view the way they spend their marketing dollars completely differently. The, this idea that that he's somehow going to uh, turn the clock back to 1995 or 1992 is absolutely nuts to me. And it's just not, it's not possible. I think people have to now 
completely manage their own expectations as to what is to be considered success. And the one thing that I didn't get at in the press conference, and maybe it's too early, is any sense that they are willing to to talk about what would be considered a metric for success yes. going forward. Yes, something a key performance indicator or set thereof. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a fair point. Uh, on speculatement, you're having your say, Jesse, the Holman family trapped. Uh, on the shoulder of the right person to preserve and evolve IndyCar and IMS. I think Roger Penske will evolve IndyCar uh, and the Speedway to rival or even surpass F1 and Monaco Grand Prix by promoting jaw-dropping competition and an epic fan experience. They have to do something very, very good to do that because they're batting at a much more global audience in terms of what Liberty is doing with Formula One. Andrew Barsa says, it makes you wonder if Penske saying IRL in the press conference might be a gentle jab at the fact that Cart has more or less won the split officially. And Ted the Toyman says, hey, I still call it IRL sometimes as well. Uh, it's a big mode, job. Are you? It's an awesome, an awesome uh, responsibility. And there are few people, I think, better qualified and with a better reputation to take it on, particularly within the paddock and within the the industry. I wonder what sort of a conversation we would have been having, Dex, if this had been sold to Liberty or had been sold to someone outside of motorsport uh, to... You know, it, it could have gone to a wealth management group or somebody like that, and we would have been having a different conversation, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. Uh, certainly, with Liberty, you'd think Formula E and Formula One would, would be obviously slap bang on the on the agenda. But but on saying that, I believe Roger Penske's mo will be to exploit in the best possible way the asset, sweat the asset as much as he can. I, I can see him looking at promoting joint events, whether it's IMSA or NASCAR or trying to get F1 back or MotoGP or World Superbike. I believe they'll try all of those things. And I think they need to be smart about how they do that. And certainly, again, by extension with the IndyCar series, I know this ownership group brings up the conversation and the thought of whether or not IndyCar will now look to merge more events or some events with NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, could do IMSA, obviously. Roger Penske's across all three of those championships. There's an opportunity for a brave new world there. We'll keep a look on that, an eye on that on Midweek Motorsport, which is what you're listening to. We're live, uh, just coming up to 25 minutes before 9 o'clock here in the UK. Declan Brennan stays with us. Still to come, David Brabham is our big interview tonight. We'll have uh, Shea Adam talking some more American news, this time on IMSA uh, and on NASCAR. Uh, by the way, uh, we've got uh, Jim Cameron uh, talking the Race of Remembrance, which is uh, coming up in uh, a week. In fact, this weekend, isn't it? Uh, coming up this weekend, yeah. Uh, and also we'll be previewing Shanghai WEC and the Court of 24 Hours, all coming up shortly here on the Radio Show Limited network of channel. But... Uh, Nick Damon isn't with us tonight, although we will have his thoughts on Formula One uh, in the show this evening. Uh, so, Dex, I, I, I hope you don't mind stepping in to talk about MotoGP at the weekend. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed all three of the races, and I watched most of the practice sessions as well, albeit mostly uh, on 
uh, catch up. Mark Marquez is the man in MotoGP, but like many other dominant forces in motorsports or other walks of life, he showed himself to be less than totally confident at the weekend, possibly even a flawed genius, but certainly behaviour that affects what his... um, the word I'm, I'm looking for. He's standing in many people's eyes with some quite frankly remarkable behaviour in free practice and then in qualifying that actually saw him do himself no good at all and nearly hurt himself, fired himself out the front door over the front of the the motorcycle going through turn one and two on a uh, throttle off high side, which is an awful thing to happen. You just won't get those back, not even if you're Mar- Marquez. All because of the young pretender, the young rookie from France, Fabian, uh, Fabio Quattraro on the satellite Yamaha, who has been taking it to Marquez at various stages of the year. Now, that battle didn't transpire the way we expected it in the race. More of that in a moment. But a word about the psyche of an eight-time MotoGP champion and world champion in Mark Marquez, feeling the need to try and outsake the young pretender. It, for me, John, that moment told you so much about Mark Marquez in a in a way that was genuinely startling. And what I mean by that is, he doesn't feel like he can win without having to play some level of mind game or, or having to play, you know, uh, a role of, of, of the heel here uh, in wrestling terms. He needs to be... He, Nick and I have talked about this off air and we briefly mentioned it on air. It's almost like he's in, he wants to embrace this bad guy, Ayrton Senna <laughs> type uh, uh, mantle which simply doesn't fit because he's not that sort of guy. And and he's doing things that, that are out of character. And that what he did, so just if, if anybody didn't see, uh, the qualifying sessions across all of the categories, 15-minute bursts uh, in, in each category uh, in qualifying two, uh, basically came down to uh, setup changes, people coming in late, uh, which is becoming the norm. And then you go out with just enough time to do a warm-up lap on a flying lap. That's the, that's the deal. Uh, he waited for F- Fabio Quartararo come out, to come out because he wanted to trail around behind him and and basically get in his head and potentially force Quartararo to, to push hard and then uh, use... Quadraro as a as a guide and then pass him and play mind games with him and take pole or some such. What he did was uh, he forced Quadraro to drive very slowly, uh, backed up everybody, started waving people to go by them as they trailed round together like the last lap of one of those uh, sprint races in cycling. Oh, it was it was uh, awful. And... It happens in 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 Moto Three quite a lot because you do yeah. need a tour there. It just looked bad, didn't it? It did look bad, and and just so what happened was they came around the last corner. Uh, Petrucci was in the way, maybe smartly. I'm going to give him. I think he did it on purpose. But Quartararo decided to go when Petrucci was just between him and Marquez. Marquez went by him. They went through the first corner. Uh, 
Marquez had not warmed up his tires. They neither of them had. They were basically too slow. Uh, you felt, and he, as he said, he had that high side. But what then happened was Marquez went around and took pole in uh, a with a track record, which is again adding insult to injury. But I just fundamentally don't understand why Marquez feels he needs to do this. If he was to qualify three places behind him, or just know that you can probably beat him or be ahead of him within three or four laps, or do what you did to to Maverick Vinales in Australia, which was he sat behind him and then took backed off the throttle on the front stretch at Phillip Island, uh, knowing that towards the end of the race he could basically play with him, and that's what he did. And to the point where Vinales threw himself off the bike going into Lukey Heights because he was trying way too hard. That's how you get in somebody's head. Not these stupid mind games that just no. make no sense. Uh, listen, we, we're running out of time because we've got a lot of fit in tonight. I want to uh, get to do um, a, a couple of other things before we get to nine o'clock. Um, Juan Zarco, impressed. Uh, the LCR guys are there. That's a Honda team. Uh, we know that Lorenzo is still not really Lorenzo. Excellent piece by Mark Oxley for Motorsport Magazine about the injuries, both physical and mental, that Lorenzo continues to ride with. I'm interested to know what happens to the winner of the race at the weekend, uh, Top Gun, Maverick Vinales, who's who's really getting the best out of that bike. Uh, and there's talk about him going to Ducati, and I think he'll like Ducati. It's a similar sort of family atmosphere as he had at Suzuki. Uh, quickly, um, Moto2, Alex Marquez wins the title. A little lucky to win the title? Just, uh, no, I'd say lucky. Uh, fortunate. Probably just fortunate. Yeah, fortunate that that his ability uh, across the whole season and and his his uh, experience. He's been in 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 the intermediate category for a few years now, uh, and obviously his his experience with that team, where he's been a, a Mark VDS rider for several years, uh, worked in his favour. I think if this championship had gone on a little bit longer, I think. Uh, it is probably fair to say that Brad Binder would have caught him and passed him now that the KDM seems to have uh, sol- solved its issues regarding it. And his pace is phenomenal. And he's, his pace is enough that he's earned himself a promotion to the MotoGP team for next year. Uh, yeah, Zarco definitely, uh, just to, to put, underline that, raise some eyebrows with his speed on a, on a year-old bike. Uh, that people have struggled with, particularly because it's Marquez's bike and not everybody can ride like he can. Yeah. Uh, and and it certainly seems like Alberto Buig and 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 uh, and HRC are are uh, at least monitoring the situation, particularly if Jorge Lorenzo doesn't gain his fitness back, because that's what's keeping him from uh, well, everyth- showing what he can do is his fitness. And everything for next year, or quite a lot of things, and this does sound like I'm I'm pitching for a new Robert Ludlund novel um, but uh, and funny enough the Bond Supremacy was on tonight it, it, it is the Lorenzo dichotomy at the moment is he going to stay is he going to be paid to stay is he going to be paid to go is he as has been suggested going to be asked uh, because we've been 
true to you and we've looked after you when you've been poorly, the, really the right thing to do would be to walk away and not enforce your contract. Like, that's going to happen. Um, so, we'll, I think we might be talking a lot more about this in our review of GP, which Declan will be joining us for uh, after the final round, which is Valencia in a couple of weeks time and we'll pick up on more from that you're listening to midweek motorsport and we'll be talking to jim cameron on the phone in a few moments time about the race of remembrance this weekend but before that tim has a press release for us the news that no one is talking about the stories that aren't reported anywhere else and for valid editorial reasons pointless press release of the week on midweek motorsport the thing that strikes me about this press release is the modesty of the driver <laughs> the first two words are talented driver well okay that's what a press release is for it's pr public relations it's about building them up talented driver seb perez is set to test himself on the roads of mallorca right as he competes in the island's rally de juice uh, bow this excellent. weekend excellent have you ever been to mallorca uh no it's one of the decks balearics i've not been to uh i have not I have not been well, what, to New York. What do you think it's like there? It's uh, a little bit uh, dusty, uh, horrible dusty old thing, which is good with the kids, as was once uh, <laughs> uh, Tommy Tommy Cooper. But uh, no, uh, it, yeah, it's it's isn't it dry and a bit arid and and North African and 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 that sort of thing. That, I've never been, but that would be my impression. Yeah, Sir Perez yes. says. It'll be nice to go to Mallorca and take part in the rally. It's a predominantly modern rally, as there are all sorts of things from RFs Cosworth to GT3 Cup cars like I've raced this year. So it'll be interesting to see how I get on. He's going to be in a uh, 911 um, uh, RS that was previously Mm -hmm. uh, owned and driven by Bjorn Valgaard. Oh, okay. You have said you've you've you have said the magic words there, and and John uh, 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 Can I? Well, no. <laughs> well, well, tremendous, tremendous. Uh, us baldies, I, you know, I, I love Stick them together. all. together. Yeah, absolutely. The no, uh, the two-wheel drive Porsche rallying yes. needs to be much more of a thing. Agreed. And I've just had a thought. I've just had a thought. Why don't they add a rally to the Porsche Super Cup? Oh, that a actually. Tarmac rally. Declan, get that TM'd immediately a tarmac rally to the porsche super cup actually you know what they should do pike's peak mate <laughs> i tried to convince them to do a one make series for the kn many years ago which was going to be basically baja based um and they didn't go for that but. i like i no, love just... it listen but the thing is if it was a d de- i mean if the roads were okay you wouldn't have to raise the right height too much look at what the, the the run on at places like the nurburgring and and the the right heights that they have there um you've seen people in cup cars particularly maybe not the gt3 cars but cup cars running in um road rallies in uh, canada in the the, the target Tasmania and things like that. So you, you, it could be done. It could be done. I fell in love with rallying at a time when, uh, and in fact, I fell in love with uh, rallying when Group B was obviously at a tight, but but locally and and nationally in the UK with the, the big international rallies like the Scottish and the Welsh and the and the Isle of Man, etc. There were more two wheel drive. Oh, yes. cars and the, uh, group B cars and there were four wheel drive and the one I loved the most was the 911 
the the Rothmans, Dave Richards prepared 9-11 SE of Billy Coleman. And it's like, that's a proper rally car. They were, on tarmac, they were magnificent. Oh, great. Absolutely magnificent. So, yes, come on, Porsche, sort it out. Um, Patrick Heisman had probably... See, that, then that wouldn't be a pointless press release. Wrap up the release from Seb uh, Perez. So, we all in agreement that uh, Northern New York is going to be dry and arid and dusty. Y- you'd think so, wouldn't you? Seb Perez says... Yes, what's... It? It's a bit like Belgium. Dry and arid and dusty. No, it isn't! <laughs> it's not like Belgium at all! Uh, the final paragraph is, I'm really looking forward to the 30km stage in the dark on Saturday night and having a bit of fun. It's a, lo- it's a local event for us, so it's enjoyable and I'm excited about the competition. Mm. Seb Perez is from Chesterfield. Yeah, you know what I've never read? A local I've event never... and he's from Chesterfield. Yeah, I, I've never read a report of the Tulip Rally that started with uh, the, uh, the plus 100 degree conditions and the dust were a major factor <laughs> this week. That's never happened. It, much the like the Vallon Flesh Vallon bike race. It doesn't yeah. happen, does it? Yeah, exactly. The Tulip Rally reports normally are, and uh, four of the stages were cancelled due to the drownings. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> All right, we've got to leave that there. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Thank you uh, to... Declan Brennan, uh, who we will speak to in a couple of weeks' time. More MotoGP uh, musings from him, and we'll keep an eye on the other big stories as well. Uh, An event and an organisation that we followed the progress of for quite some time. In fact, since the first Race of Remembrance back in 2014, which we broadcast live. It is this weekend, and on the phone now is the man behind the Mission Motorsport, uh, Jim Cameron. Hello, Jim. How are you? Yeah, very good indeed. Um, yes, uh, busy, funnily enough, this time of year. We seem to be... Uh, <laughs> we just seem to have quite a lot on. I don't know why. I always seem to come around. I'm, I'm going to say this couple of weeks is leave, I think. Next yeah, week. I don't think you're allowed to do that, to be honest, uh, Jim. Um, Race of Remembrance, Anglesey, over the Remembrance weekend, of course. I think most of our listeners here on Midweek Motorsport know all about that. We will be broadcasting it again over the weekend uh, with Paul Truswell, Diana Binks, uh, looking after the coverage uh, this year. Uh, big year it's been for Mission Motorsport in terms of the charity with, with your automotive connections coming to the fore. You've always said race, retrain, recover and getting people into jobs has been at the forefront of that and the new initiative that you launched earlier this year with automotive industry has really uh, been bearing fruit. Yeah, no, we we sort of sat back and, and looked at what we'd achieved in, in the seven years since the charity started and um, uh, had done had done a lot with the wounded, injured and sick but through running programmes for for those guys who are guys and girls who are most affected, um, it it got you in the room with some with some pretty cool partners. And and then if you've got access to those HR levers, um, we we've been able to help a lot of veterans service leaders um, and also their families into employment. Um, so we launched a thing uh, back in March from the Royal Hospital Chelsea um, uh, called Mission Automotive, which is a uh, charity initiative but it's all about um helping automotive industry companies to to develop their own armed forces engagement scheme that kind of meets their purposes um and obviously sort of the jlr have been uh the the big fish in that but we've had so many partners all the way through you know everyone from ProDrive to uh williams and uh, a host of other companies large and small down to sort of single man startups we we've 
we probably know quite a bit about how to how to run a good armed forces policy. Um, uh, you know, so you launched launched at the Royal Hospital Chelsea, and uh, that was an exciting event. But it, you know, kind of felt a little bit like Guernsey launching a space program. You know, you got a <laughs> bunch of government ministers there. You know, a bunch of sort of CEO engagement uh, as we did it with the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. And the joy is, it's really, um, it's really taken on. We we were terrified what we're sort of you know changing political climate and uh, you know uncertainty um, that. Um, that we we were a bit concerned that it wouldn't take hold, but you know, absolutely delighted to bring on new partners who are doing some really innovative and engaging stuff that's already resulted in guys and girls getting into into jobs, and that, that initiative is only about eight months old. Oh, and we've talked and about this. Of, we've talked about this before, yeah. Jim. About these are real jobs for real people. Whilst you are a charity, there's no element of charity in these people going to work. They are they are holding down a job based on their ability and their willingness to do a job of work. Yeah, absolutely. And our, our piece is one of translation to to help companies to um, uh, to gauge and make good decisions about armed forces talent. And you know, and that can be saying no to people just as much as saying yes. Yeah. But it's helping inform their decision making um, and uh, and harness some of that community spirit. Because ultimately, what we do is we um, we connect communities and we, we help people leaving the services, which, which has all of this structure around all of these handrails in place to kind of support people. Um, when they come out of that, you know, and they reach out for a handrail that perhaps they never acknowledged or really realized that was there. And when they find it's absent, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when people stumble. And if we allow any of these guys or girls to be underemployed or unemployed or under a bridge homeless or a suicide statistic then we're failing um in in, in harnessing that incredible potential and uh, and helping it ultimately find its uh, you know find its find its zenith and allow people to support their own families you know for the for the remainder of their, their careers yes. um and, and it's about joining up communities and you know and that's why i'm talking you know to you guys that racing community has been has just been phenomenal at kind of reaching out and helping support. And it's, and it's founded the way, you know, when we were talking about doing those first 24 hour races and things, you know, when we were first sport speaking then, you know, that that's now resulted in, in over 2000 veterans wow. finding employment in the automotive industry, you know, and, and it's a two-way street as well because it all started yeah. with Mission Motorsport and Mission Motorsport continues, which is, you know, why we're talking about race yeah. and remembrance yeah. again, yeah. but your latest, recruits if i dare use that word to the automotive side of things mission automotive is is toyota and i mean that's yeah. huge manufacturing in the uk and they're bringing yeah. something back to race of remembrance as well so it's it's a double whammy in a positive sense yeah no it's a, it's a really cool thing so toyota gb of course they manufacture uh toyota manufacturing uk at berniston and also at d-side um so they're, they're knocking out Corollas. This is a big part of British industry in the centre of the country. But, of course, um, they, uh, the, the bigger company, the parent company, 11th largest company in the world, most profitable car company by some time, adding Toyota to our, sort of, uh, our list of members of Mission Automotive is really exciting. And they're already bringing you know, innovation and excitement into, uh, into some of the stuff they were doing. I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I said, it's so exciting because it's, it's moving really quickly. They're really leaning into it. 
you know, we'll have blokes in jobs very soon. And I was sort of nudged and went, we've already got people in work. And some of those people who are in work through that initiative, through the Mission Automotive Initiative, are going to be uh, spannering on a GT86. Uh, the Mission Motorsports are running in Race of Remembrance, but with uh, with Tom Ingram um, is going to be leading that team. British touring car driver, yeah. British touring car driver, which is very cool. And actually, Tom Tom's driven a lot of other stuff as well, and his instructional work you know, is just brilliant. So um, sticking him alongside and into a Mission Motorsport team is really cool. And then we've got some of these guys who were who were lost a couple of months ago, <laughs> um, and uh, and now they're proudly working for retailers. Uh, dotted around the country, um, uh, having uh, having yeah yeah into into their new sort of setting careers, which is very cool. And and actually in that car as well, we've got a very cool young man called Matt Stringer who, I mean, he was featured in a BBC documentary. I think it was called Our Boys, but he, was, he just looked ridiculously young in Afghanistan. I think <laughs> on his first tour, um, but he's worked for Track Group. Uh, we first put him into track group back in 2012. So he and he worked his way up from. Uh, I think we got him his truck license. He started as a truckie, worked his way up, ending up lead engineer, running you know, McLaren, Porsches, things like that in uh, and Aston's as well. Um, uh, and now he's he's stepping off in order to do livery full time and has oh, started wow. a business based not a million miles out of Peterborough called called Matt's Wraps. And so. For him as well, this is fantastic. And alongside Ingram, you know, getting to race something absolutely amazing. But the car's in delivery, which he's done. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's about sort of promoting his, his business as well. So um, it's it's really cool. There's all of these overlapping themes always with racing remembrance. Nice that uh, Goodyear, Goodyear Dunlop have got involved with that as well. Obviously being part of the British touring car scene for a very long time. And we... Uh, no, obviously everything's been rebranded. All the motorsports being rebranded as Goodyear at the moment. We know the guys at, at Dunlop and, uh, and Goodyear very, very well in, in, indeed, and it's great to have them involved. Um, as far as the race is concerned, it, it brings, uh, it shines a spotlight on what you're doing, and that's what it's always been there to do and to to raise awareness. Um, it's a, mm. it's fun. It's highly competitive, though, and there <laughs> is there is a very long list of people who want to do it. And and this year, you're bringing two racing mm. brothers back together. I'm not sure they've ever raced in the same car before and one of them no. said he wasn't going to race again and he's come back and that's Dario and Marino Franchitti back in a car with Dickie Meaden, one of our favourite automotive journalists and by the way, a fine peddler. I nearly said something quite, that would have got me taken quite off. Quite handy behind the wheel, isn't he? he? Is. He's, a, he's a decent <laughs> little steerer, as our yes. um, as our Aussie friends would say. And that's all come back together again. Now, uh, that just adds a little bit more spice to an already very rich mixture that you've got down there at Anglesey. It's, uh, it's just fantastic, really, for us to be able to do that. So we're sort of still pinching ourselves slightly. I mean, you know, um, Marino has been uh, has has been fantastic, you know. I mean, he's 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 been around really since the the beginning of the charity, and seen some of sort of the early work on it. And he's he's always been looking for opportunities to be able to do it. But Dario coming to to join him on the grid, you know, as he he comes back to racing. I mean, there's a man who knows a thing or two about <laughs> the impact of sport yes. on your life, and yes. also the recovery power, and uh, you know his. His perspective on things is absolutely glorious, and of course we've also got Jamie Clark in that car. He's just just won that Ferrari Championship this year as well, so there's some incredible quality. I think actually 
the person I'm most excited about in that car is a, is a young lady called Sophie Burton. Sophie um, uh, was medically discharged in December 2017. Um, and uh, some two weeks after her discharge, she was uh, part of the team that with Terry Grant and Billy Munger were headlining the live action arena at Autosport. Wow. Um, uh, January 2018. And, and medically discharged, you know, she'd had... Um, um, she was left with anxiety and depression having having fallen ill when she was in the army and was then being interviewed on the 10 o'clock news and she's done incredible things to put her life together she works with Leonardo Helicopters now um, in an extremely good job effectively doing a development of what she was doing when she was in the military and has put her life back together again um, but for Sophie um, she she's had the most appalling year um, because her brother who was also serving committed suicide earlier this year um, and that, uh, and she also lost her mother, tragically young. And for her, um, she's she's had everything collapse around her um, during the course of this year. Now we've kind of reached out and gone, you know, what can we do to help and to make sure that she's getting the right sort of support and stuff that she needs, uh, and just to take her up a level. So we'll drop her into the middle of that lot, and the Frank Kitties will put their arm around her and. Um, uh, getting her to do that. She passed her, her ARDS test. She's such a capable driver, but passed her ARDS test two weeks ago. Right. At Thruxton. So, um, her I do like the is... idea of Dario Marino and Dicky yeah. M uh, in a car that's going to have to have a novice's cross on the back on that MX-5. Yeah, and, and, of course, we will be absolutely ribbing them about which one the novice's cross is really for. <laughs> whether it's for the singer test driving or for somebody who's not raced in the UK for an awfully long time. Yes, yeah. exactly. Start his license again from scratch. Yeah, that's uh, yes, exactly that's right. Not a bad idea. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. I mean, the weather forecast, which is wrong every year, says it's going to be fantastic. So you know, I'm preparing. Who for knows? The worst. Uh, yeah, it's it's racing in Anglesey in November. It's not the sort of thing that the same person would wish to do. Um, I mean, we'll kick off on the Saturday again with our uh, a lovely supercar event um, that, that gets a lot of the volunteers. I mean, I must say, look, every, every year, uh, the idea of going and camping out um, in order to marshal on a post into the dark in Anglesey in November, you know, on, on the top of the cliffs above the Irish Sea, it just seems extraordinary. And particularly when you see... Um, you know, just how much in demand marshals are. Yes. And how, how, you know, it's difficult sometimes to get events marshaled. And, of course, we had a 24-hour cancelled in Anglesey earlier on this year, right in the middle of summer. Um, we've got 150 marshals going on the weekend. Brilliant. So, <laughs> it's, it, it's um, I mean, I've always sort of said Race of Remembrance is a, is a remembrance service with a, with a motor race attached to it. I, I think I probably also need to, to add in that this is a, Celebration of the marshalling year, um, uh, with a motor race attached to it. You know, so the, 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 the yeah, the support we get from the guys and girls in Orange is amazing. Well, Jim, we wish you all the best. Uh, unfortunately, uh, again, I'm um, in America for for the weekend, which has annoyed me the last couple of weekends, the couple of years particularly, because it's an event I've yeah. always thoroughly enjoyed. However, the good news is we will be able to keep in touch uh, via the live broadcast that we'll be carrying here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, wish you all the best, mate. Um, I'm, I'm Thank you. presuming you're going to jump into a car at some stage over the weekend as well, are you? Have you got something uh, weird yeah, and wacky no, this year? 
I'm, I'm, I'm not in the Mission Motorsport car, but the idea of, you know, standing around for 12 hours watching everybody else just enjoying themselves is too much. So I'm, I'm popping up in a, in a mate, in a, a mate C1 um, to go and do it because the, it, it's actually some of the best racing I think I've ever done, you know, particularly <laughs> the stuff in the dark is, is, is just phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to that. But thank you very much, and thank you as well, Radio Le Mans, and the listenership as well for continuing to support us. It, it means a huge amount. It's always our pleasure, and uh, if I might say, our honour to help you with what you're doing with our lads and lasses. It's part of that uh, part of that bargain that we make with uh, our armed forces that we send them off to do what we don't want to. Therefore, we've got to look after them when they come back. Not okay. exactly the way we we sent them out. You and I have had long chats about that, and we're firm believers in that. Jim, keep up the good work, mate, and great to hear about Mission Automotive as well. Have a great weekend, mate. Thank you, my friend. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Well, more of your tweets for a start at Specutainment. We've got Shea Adam, who'll be joining us for some US uh, and some sports car news. Nick Damon, we haven't heard from uh, this week. He's not here, uh, but we have got... How could we possibly have a Formula One weekend and the championship actually resolved? Plus, some talk about the new regulations without hearing from our F1 correspondent. No, we simply couldn't. So we will have Nick in the second half of the programme. Our big interview tonight is rather like midweek motors uh, mission motorsport excuse me another project that we followed for quite a long time and that comes up early in the second half of tonight's program that'll be david brabham on midweek motorsports midweek motorsport on radiolamon.com right promised you uh, a few more tweets talking about the uh, Porsche Super Cup adding a rally. Alan Prosser says, surely Rally, rally Monza would be a good candidate for that. Yes, it would be. Uh, Kevin Payne says, oh, I'm loving the talk about 911 rally cars. I love it almost as much as the E30 M3 BMW. That is one of my favourite cars as well, the E30. Uh, right turn lover, one of a number, including Dave Alcock, who mentions three numbers. Simply zero, three, and seven. Dave Alcott's in. The Porsche 911 in the early 80s were great, but the two-wheel drive king of Group B was the insane Lancia 037. Gorgeous style and with crazy performance days that we'll never see again. Oof. Uh, right, let's move on to our big interview on Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 42 here. It's uh, just after five past nine here on November the 6th. And a project that we've been in on right from the start is bringing the Brabham name back to motorsport. Significant milestone coming up this weekend and joining us from what sounds like a ballroom at Brabham Towers is David Brabham. Good evening, David. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you? I'm all, I'm all, I'm all right. <laughs> Not sure where you get that from, but no. Uh, it I'm sounds like you... With you in my kitchen, which um, doesn't have any carpet, so it's uh, ricochets everywhere. <laughs> Uh, good to hear your voice again, sir. David, your your project to bring uh, Brabham as a name back to uh, the racetrack and as an automotive entity, has uh, we've been following that for a while here. And uh, there's another important milestone this weekend with the BT62, the car that we've talked about here before, having its first competitive outing. First of all, you must be delighted that this step is now 
right here, right now, and you're staring it in the face. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we set uh, certain goals throughout this whole process and, um, you know, we've been slowly ticking them off. And uh, this is another one. You know, we knew that we wanted 62 out there on the track if we could. Um, and, you know, we had feedback from, from potential customers who said, look, you know, like the BT62, but, you know, where can I race it? And so uh, after talking with Britcar, uh, they uh, they obviously said, yeah, great, we'd love to have the car in our series. So, you know, obviously coming here, well, coming to Brands Hatch in, in a couple of days to to do our first race is, is part of that process. And, um, you know, there will be a car uh, racing, a BT62 racing in the championship next year uh, uh, with a customer. So it just gives us lots of information. It gets Brabham back out on track. Um, and it's, you know, it's all part of the plan. Just to refresh everybody's memory, the BT62, the first Brabham of this new era of Brabham as an automotive manufacturer and as a race car manufacturer, originally, David, intended to be a non-competitive track dear car. But listening to the people who were out there, seeing the performance of the car and plenty of testing that you've done, I saw some in very impressive demonstration last uh, at Bathurst at the Liquid Molly 12 hours uh, earlier this year. When was the decision made? W- was it a decision that had to be made or did it just evolve that eventually mm, we're going to have to make this car a competition car? Well, when we launched the, the BT62 last May, um, well, we obviously shocked the world by producing a car which no one knew about. Um, and it was a, you know, it's an extreme track car. And uh, we took it to market and we started listening to, to what uh, potential customers were saying. Um, they obviously loved the car when they got in and drove it. But um, out of the conversations, we've now got three variants of the BT62. So the, the extreme track car, uh, a road car compliant, so people can put it onto the road, and uh, now the competition spec. So it's, it's just evolved as, it, as it's moved along. And uh, obviously, racing was always in the back of our mind. You know, we said when we launched that our goal was to get to Le Mans, but, you know, we have to start somewhere. And uh, this is the great great opportunity for us to um, get out there and get racing and show and demonstrate um, not just that the car can race um, in the Brick Car Championship. It's also we've, you know, kick-started our driver development program with my teammate, Will, Will Powell, and, uh, you know, all of that is part of the, the, the customer journey that they'll share with us at Brabham Automotive. And you hinted there, of course, that you're going to be back in the car. I'll come back to that in a moment. But in regards to the specification of the competition car, David, there's a lot of competition for competition cars out there, if you see what I mean. Um, people have a lot of choice. Where does the BT62 competition version sit then? Is it, broadly speaking, GT4 performance levels, GT3, or beyond that? And is it likely to be homologated into any of those global formula for GT cars that everybody knows so well? Well, we're here as as kind of under the kind of invitational class. So, you know, the car was never developed to be a, a GT3 race car as such or a GT4. Uh, but there are championships in the round that allow these type of vehicles to compete. And, um, you know, what's what's been interesting is people have got in and, and have driven the car. And obviously they those people are people who are amateurs and who have raced other vehicles. 
and they're blown away by the performance um, and the confidence it gives them. And, um, you know, that's that's obviously what we designed the car to do. And uh, that's helped their decision process in, in choosing a car like this to, to go racing. And in that respect, then, was Brick Car, which for those people listening outside the UK is a, a national level championship here in the UK and, and very much uh, a championship that is enjoyed by uh, amateur, semi-professional and some professional drivers as well. But the ability to run in an invitation class, did that help with the decision of debuting the car at Brands Hatch Brit Car this weekend? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, when we when we looked at, um, you know, how can we take the BT62 racing, you know, we had to look at what were the avenues. And, um, you know, after the discussion, as I said, with Brick Car, they said we'd love to have the car there. Um, and obviously the goal is to to have more vehicles on, on track, you know, maybe one day having our own race series. But, you know, it's, it's very early days. We're just um, we're, we're going there with with an open mind. We've done quite a bit of testing. We feel pretty ready for it um and yes you know it's it's a it's a it's a club level national uh championship but you know the reason we're there is to show and demonstrate that the pro and the am can jump in the car and get something out of it yes absolutely um david you mentioned that you're back in the car you're back driving again uh take us through that process of of uh of mindset and how that decision was made because when I talked to you going way back and even when we first saw the car at Le Mans you were sort of hesitant to commit to going back in the car what's changed your mind why have you dusted off the race boots well I mean to be fair I've never never like officially retired no I I just uh, put a lot of time and energy into trying to get a project like this up and running um, and, 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 you know, you, you know the journey that I've been on. So uh, it, it's, it's taken a while, but we're now here. Um, we're going racing. Uh, I've spent more time in the car than anybody else. I know it well. Um, I'm very much sort of the heartbeat of the driver development program, working with Will, being right in the mix of it um, and getting that understanding from a driver's point of view in race conditions, I think is really important. Uh, so there's m- lots of many factors um, and, you know, there's no doubt, you know, there's going to be a lump in the throat, you know, driving a Brabham down Brabham Strait at Brands Hatch, just like my dad did when he won the Brand- British Grand Prix in 1966, is going to be quite quite an emotional time. Um, so from a personal point of view, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be a pretty cool event from from my side and my family. And um, but from a business point of view, it's the right place for us to be. I, I like the way you've gone about this, David. We've we've talked about this development before. You've wanted to make sure that you could walk before you could run. Stable uh, production facilities uh, with the plan, the five-year plan and possibly even beyond there that we've talked about before, getting to Le Mans. Some changes at Le Mans, and we've talked about this too, with the new LMP1 2020 regulations coming on that will allow street-derived cars as well as prototype cars You've always said GTE in the past. Presumably, you've got to look, though, at these new regulations to see if that fits in with Brabham Automotive going forward. Uh, absolutely. Uh, obviously, when we launched, those regulations were not not settled yet. So it was a 
fairly easy decision for us to say, well, okay, that's where we want to go. Um, you know, we said at the time we've got ambitious timelines and we've got to grow the business as well to support that. Um, when the regulations have now kind of shifted towards, a, let's say, a door opening for us, um, for sure, we're, we're, we're looking at that. But, you know, we've got a lot of other things we need to do in the background to, to make that achievable. Uh, but at least we've got something we can look at, which I think everybody's been waiting for, for those regulations to sort of um, come to a settling point. So there's some consistency. And where does this car then, because you've always said this was the start, it was never meant to be the end point and, and not necessarily even where the next stepping off point will be from, but where does this car fit in, the BT62 competition, where does that fit in and, and have you dared to think of a timeline about where you go next or are you, are you concentrating on, on this part of the project? Uh, we're very much focused on this part of the project. Um, there's no doubt about that. But obviously, we've got an eye on the future, um, as we did when we started the, the whole project. And, you know, like I said, we've sort of set our goals um, and we've been ticking those goals off as we go along. Um, we've got many more goals to achieve. And ultimately, you know, obviously, the, the BT62 is a great showcase of the, the design and technology expertise that we've got at Brabham Automotive. Um, and then we're going to go, obviously, to a road car in the future, and that's obviously always been our goal. And obviously, from a road car, you know, what does the variant from a racing perspective look like off that? Well, that's to be determined. You mentioned that you'll have a bit of a lump in the throat at the weekend when you drive that car uh, at Brands Hatch with all of the the Brabham history that goes there. Um, it's been a long old journey, David, to be honest, from get, getting the family name back in the first place to getting the car uh, out there and, and now to getting the first competition car out. Do you allow yourself a, a little bit of a breath and a little bit of a ha ah, on that? Or is it literally still flat out? Because I know you're going to tell me the job's not done yet. No, I, I, it's only just started. Um and it, you know, it feels like the journey's been going on for a long time too. But you know, it's it's just what it is. You know, it's a big, ambitious project, uh, but it's worthy of the Brabham name. So, um, you know, always at the very beginning, how how do I bring Brabham back? How do I bring it back to its former glory? Um, how do I create a legacy for my family? Um, you know, there was lots of um, things going through my mind at the time, and we're talking 14 years ago. Um, when those thoughts were starting to come in because I didn't have a crystal ball and realised that actually uh, I was going to be heading into a court case to get the, the Brabham name back, which took seven years. Um, so I think if I did add that crystal ball, I probably would have stopped. But <laughs> I'm glad crystal balls don't uh, don't happen. But, uh, you know, I have, to, I have to say, you know, you say don't... I mean, sorry, you, you said do you hold back and look and see what you've done or you've sort of got your head still into it? I've, my wife constantly tells me, take a breath and just look at what you have achieved. But that's really difficult for me because I'm always thinking about tomorrow, what are we going to do now? Um, so, yeah, I do, I do get reminded. Uh, the weekend is a packed one with uh, Mini 7s, Ginetta Junior Championships, uh, the Citroen C1 Challenge, as well as the Hyundai Coupe Cup, as well as uh, some tin tops and all kinds of stuff in there. The big races uh, are late on Saturday afternoon, 10 past 5, and then on Sunday for two hours uh, into, well, half past 6. It's going to be getting dark there, David, so I hope you've tested the lights on the BT62. 
Uh, well, yes, that's that's like you say, it's um, it's into the night, which is which one is great, it's exciting. Uh, it's going to throw some challenges for sure, um, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be a great spectacle. And presumably, you don't set your aspirations on anything other than learning about the car and getting the car to the chequered flag with your with your racing partner. Uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, the, the goal is to finish and finish well. You know, in the back of the mind, you, you, you obviously want to finish first, as you always do when you go to a race. Um, but, you know, the team's going to be going through a learning curve as well. We've not been in a race situation with the vehicle. Um, we're going to learn a lot. But, um, you know, like I said, we feel pretty ready. Um, we've just got to do the best we can on the day. And it is, is it a Brabham team that's running this then from that you guys have assembled or is it your, your customer who's already got people who's been running other cars? No, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of, of Brabham Automotive people as well as um, uh, the guys from Roll Centre who have helped us put, put this team together to uh, do the race. Nobody better than uh, Shorty when it comes down to stuff like that. We wish you and the team all the best at the weekend. David, I know it's going to be an incredibly emotional and proud moment for you and the rest of the family. All the best, mate. Race well, race safely. Yeah, thanks. And, um, you know, this is the, the next start of the chapter. And, uh, you know, Brabham Motorsport will be out there on the weekend doing its thing. And we hope everyone comes to have a look and support us. David Brabham there talking to uh, John Heintoff. Uh, Shay Adam joins us now for some sports car news. And Shay, you're very excited about Kyle Busch, who's going to be at the Daytona 24 Hours next year. Uh, are we going to do the NASCAR now? I thought we were leaving that till later. No. Okay. Daytona 24 Hours. Oh, okay, fine. As I said. Shay, Daytona 24 Hours, Kyle Busch. Kyle Bush, we get to interview uh, the man who hates to be interviewed. And quite frankly, I can't wait. He's going to be joining the Ambassador Sullivan team. We don't know which Lexus he'll be driving yet, but he will be in one of them, and that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, and that's not the only good news for IMSA as we uh, crack on towards the Encore, which we'll talk about in a wee moment. More new cars to run uh, LMP2 at Daytona. Excellent, Mr. Burns would say. Dragon Speed are going to be supporting Era Motorsports. Uh, the Kyle Tilly run team was big back in the Grand Am days. I'm not very familiar with it, but they will be bringing cars to Daytona in LMP2. It could turn into a full season effort. We'll have to sit back, wait, and see how that all pans out. But yeah, more cars, good news. Uh, and uh, no changes for Penske. We've already talked about Penske. Uh, acquiring IMS this weekend, but Accuratine Penske, no changes? It's still going to be Dane and Juan coming back to defend their championship, but I've been doing a lot of number crunching, and I think that their biggest competition might just come from within the team. Ricky and Elio both had very strong 2019s. They will be teaming up once again. The only change, as far as this roster is concerned, goes to the endurance drivers, though, where Alexander Rossi is rejoining the team after he missed mm. Petit Le Mans. He was also driving down to Bathurst that weekend for Andretti. So potential conflict of interest going on there for him having to choose. But Graham Rahal will not be driving at Daytona. That will be Rossi. They're actually up there testing right now, John, and the weather looks dreadful. Mm, yeah, yes, uh, Mazda were out there last week, or earlier this week, actually, uh, testing as well with their DPI car. Still wait to find out who's going to run the third car for Mazda. Uh, not our uh, not our announcement to make. Uh, Stephen Simpson, will he be in IMSA next year? 
be, he'll be in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. He'll be driving the TCR car alongside Michael Johnson, but he will not be driving in the BPI. The announcement came out yesterday. Very much a shock to the system. Uh, like I said, number crunching. His performance was nearly identical to that of Simon Trimmer, and the two of them were on par for the second most valuable person in the team, in effect. So it's an interesting move for Steven to be pulled out of that seat, but it means that, of course, somebody, somebody else, one of the mass of available free agents, could be dropping into that seat. Uh, three live events at the weekend. We've heard about the race of remembrance. It's the Michelin uh, IMSA Michelin Encore at Sebring at the weekend. 18 cars confirmed as of now. We thought we might have got to 20. Four GT4s, four GT3s. By far the most uh, is the LMP3 category. And there'll be a kid to our Ligier for the rising star Kai van Berlo with a couple of names that we know well. He's back. He's going to be alongside British Matt Bell and Jim McGuire of Aero Paint fame. So we're going to get them back in a Ligier. There are way too many cars to go through to just pick out a couple that stood out. Uh, Stephen McLear and Joe Roblard. Remember, McLear was second in the IPC Championship this year. They're going to be sharing a Norma for the four-hour contest. And another really interesting uh, observation from the entry list is that Joel Janko and Jonathan George, yes, they're coming back with 47 Motorsport, but they've got Tristan Nunez mm. listed in the car with him. Now, we haven't seen a factory Mazda driver doing other stuff. I mean... It's been very much one lane. Is this potentially an indication that Tristan is not back with the DPI next year? I really hope that's not the case, but it's something to at least start thinking about. GT3 is interesting. Wright Motorsports Porsche, Jan Halen, Max Waroot and Ryan Hardwick. And that said, sets up a, a couple of really interesting battles between old teammates <laughs> get your popcorn folks this is going to be a fun one so paul miller racing lamborghini will be running why does this matter because you've just said ryan hardwick who was driving that car mm -hmm. this year will not be in it he's going to be in the right motorsport porsche which we're expecting him to drive next year we don't know in which series yet well in the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini, Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, the dynamic duo who won the championship last year, teaming back up. Jan Halen is one of Madison's best friends in the world. And, of course, Brian drove with Ryan Hardwick this yes. year. So take Maxwell Root out of the picture, and you've got some very close-knit people from their ties this year alone. It's going to be fascinating to see how the on-track stuff shakes out. And the other thing worth noting Brian and Madison are both currently gold-rated drivers. Yeah. The maximum drive time for a gold driver at the Encore is 90 minutes. You put the two of them together, that gives you three hours. Is there going to be some special dispensation, or is this a sign that perhaps Madison, who is rated as gold by IMSA only, is going to be reverted to a silver-ranked driver? He is going to be reverted to a silver driver. I've seen the competition bulletin that says they're going to respect his silver rating for this event whether that carries on into next season and means he could come back we'll have to wait and see exactly. the decision of the driver committee uh welcome back tim pappas after that nasty accident at bathurst at the liquid molly 12 hours and with a couple of very strong core drivers <laughs> yeah what a way to come back i'm gonna bring my porsche i'm gonna put in it spencer pompelli and mark miller so two drivers who don't have to worry about that 90 minute maximum drive time which means that tim can drive 
as much or as little as he feels comfortable with. Because remember, he did have a very big crash only in February, not that long ago. This is a very start looking for a win. It's also going to be a little bit of a point of pride because Spencer Pompelli, Seaborn hasn't ever been kind to him. He's never won the 12 hours. So even getting a win at the Encore would be a feather in his cap. It's going to be a very good looking car. Uh, Riley Motorsports, their new driver pairing, having a little practice run out. They were the first team to announce that they were going to be running was Riley Motorsport. And they've got both the GT3 and the GT4 car, Jim Cox and Dylan Murray, who drove that car all year together and to to some success as well. I think they were sixth in the championship when it all shook out. Um, It's going to be an experiment for Gar and Lawson to see how they meld with Riley's crew instead of having... Gar's own team, so that's going to be a big learning curve. But those two guys, they should be good. Uh, Ford in there as well. PF Racing are going to come and have a play. We've got the pink Ford or Pepto Bismol <laughs> or purple or whatever color it decides to come as. Um, it did actually change, change colors on the last week of the season again. But something really cool James Pessex and Jade Buford, the normal two drivers, are joined by local hero Shane Lewis. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that even if nobody is out at 10, turn 10, the corner itself is still just going to be cheering Shane. That's just the way he rolls. Same, seems to work for me. Uh, what about Audi? Uh, It's the championship winning team, but it's the non-pro lineup. So we've got Carbon with Peregrine Racing back. It is an Audi R8 GT4, but it's Samir Gandhi, Mark Siegel, and they're joined by Tom Dyer, who is a professional driver. But that combination, they haven't had a good weekend all season long. They didn't run a full complement of races. They did a very limited program. But I think the goal more than anything else will just be to finish the race. That would be a good building block or two of their three drivers. And it wouldn't be an endurance race without a turn of motorsport BMW. Exactly. You've got to have tacos somewhere. Vin <laughs> Barletta looking to get a lot of seat time this weekend as he joins Robbie Foley. Keep in mind, Turner have already said they're running two GT4 cars for next season. Could this be a selling point for Vin to say, hey, jump on board full season? You did a couple of races, but... If you can go well at Sebring, you can go well just about anywhere. And having Robbie Foley, a silver-rated driver, in the car with you at Sebring, never a bad plan. That's uh, Shay Adam. We'll have more from her later on. But uh, 90 minutes into the show, and uh, we're only just mentioning that uh, Lewis Hamilton won his sixth Formula One World Championship title at the weekend. Uh, Nick Damon not with us tonight, but John had a chance to talk to him at the weekend and uh, said, Nick, it's time to talk about Formula One. Hooray! That's quite good, that. I thought we might have had a yee-haw this week, given where we were. No, no, I, I don't I don't change my, my ways from a different country. I know, that, I know these days you have to wear a different hat, depending on what podium, I'll be it a sombrero or a 10-gallon, but uh, the hooray is a hooray no matter where we may be. Okay, uh, that seems reasonable. <laughs> Let's start right from the start. Um, how bumpy is too bumpy? Well, you, the thing is you have a thing called suspension. Well, uh, not, not, suspension not much. You can sort out bumps. But you can choose to have more. Um, no, I mean, the, the, the thing is that um, what I, they're basically saying is something that has been going on for a while, and MotoGP has said, which we have said in the couple of years we've been there yes. with um, preventing, and we'll say again, is the track is settling. And it's settling because it was built very quickly on not great quality land. I mean, mythically the track saying it's because there was a huge flood in 2015, 
Mm, no, it was built very quickly on not very good quality land. A bit like Sixfields in Northampton, everyone. There's local knowledge there. Uh, it's now getting bumpier and bumpier and bumpier, and they've got to the point where they skim the track as often as they can. They're running out of time out to skim, so they can't take out some of the micro bumps. And the big ones are quite impressive. Um, the one out of the pit lane was particularly impressive, but it's just what happens on things that settle. And, then, and apparently, I've got to close the track about a week after we leave uh, from Coventry for six weeks to do something to it. Well, what apparently they're going to do, they've identified the areas which are particularly bad, which appear to be, again, around the causeways and the, the running points where the water in this big flood got under and around the pipework, and they're going to work on those parts specifically. So it looks like what they're going to do is dig up the, the worst bits and sort them out. Um, so they won't actually just skim it or resurface it. They'll actually dig a hole, basically, and then repatch it. So hopefully they'll get it right. I mean, my guess is the track will always be um, a less than smooth one but they'll be taking out the big they must be really honest about this the biggest bump is when the drivers keep going over the curbs and doing track limits it's coming off the back of a jagged edge curb is rather more than a nice than any sort of bump so uh, if you're looking for reasons why you're having an uncomfortable ride or you've got issues with suspension collapsing perhaps not coming four wheels off the track might be an idea this place i kudos for actually putting a, a loop on the on turn 19 because that stopped that being silly yes. and obviously prevented the ridiculous the Indy car where they were going off into dangerous positions off the track so they just need to put another couple of loops in that turn nine needs a loop it's not it doesn't look very attractive it's dangerous on the car so just put another loop there and they'll be fine yeah detection loops they were calling them Vettel you've mentioned broke your suspension bit of a nasty one Uh, Leclerc hot on the heels of saying ah yeah it's a team game you win as a team you lose as a team but from now on I'm doing my own strategy Uh, all of a sudden had engine issues and Mr. Verstappen, he used the C word. He did. He, he accused them. In, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is correct because he said, apparently said it to Vigo, the uh, uh, Dutch TV company. So it would have been said in Dutch, but I'm sure Dutch have a word for this word, the C word being cheating. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked to explain uh, Ferrari's lack of pace, he said, um, this is what happens when you get caught cheating. Ferrari have obviously found or have had uh, a very significant engine advantage growing through the year and then suddenly even more remarkable um, after the break. Now, that wouldn't be such a strange issue. It wasn't the fact that now the hybrid turbos are six years old and these things converge. As you, you know, as stable regulations get on and you get into marginal gains, things converge. It doesn't suddenly, you don't suddenly find a new massive leap in the world of internal combustion engines. And it's left the rest of the paddock head-scratching so what they decided to do, I don't know whether individually or just collectively, is they decided to do what's ask for a clarification from the FIA. And what it basically yeah. asked for clarification is, it, it basically means, I think Team X is actually bending the rules. They're cheating, but they're not doing anything that's actually illegal I can try and get them kicked out of a race for. So I'm going to ask you, if I do it, would it be legal? So rather than, so basically, if you ask okay. for the concept... The, basically, the Ferrari theoretically are asking on the thing. It's better to ask forgiveness and permission. Okay, so they've they've done something theoretically, and they haven't asked about it with the idea that if it ever got sorted out, they just go, oh, "I'm sorry about that." Um, you know, a bit like Renault. Renault had this their brake bias thing on for three or four years, but then it got caught, and they only lost one result. That's the point. What happened is um, Red Bull put in uh, a question about a couple of things i think definitely one and possibly two of the concepts they have about how ferrari may have been getting extra power from from nowhere and also extra power they can only use occasionally the first one the one which seems to be the most likely is they've found a way of of getting around the fuel flow meter 
there is a maximum amount of fuel that can go into a Formula One engine these days, fuel flow. I think it's 100 kilograms, the equivalent of 100 kilograms an hour is the maximum fuel flow. And obviously, you know, that amount of fuel you've got to burn, that amount of power you get from the ICE. The monitoring of that um, fuel flow meter is not all the time. It takes, it, it pulls it every X microseconds or milliseconds or seconds. So it takes a snapshot regularly. Um, the idea was that if you kind of put in out of phase with the polling of the, the flow, you put some sort of methodology of upping the flow, which doesn't get seen, so you get more fuel, but you still meet the regulations, you'd have a kind of a extra fuel knocking about. That's the first one. So they were, found a clip that was, so basically, Red Bull asked a lot of questions about is it all right to muck about with the fuel flow meter, but still allow it to have a regular standard call. And of course, no, that's not allowed. So at that point, you no longer have to prove things are legal. You have to prove they're not illegal. Correct. You understand the difference. Yes, that big difference. Uh, and the other, the other thing that the people were talking about is whether they'd be allowing some oil bypass from the intercooler. Now, the intercooler obviously is the device that makes the air go into the turbo colder because cold air is more dense. Most teams use a water-based intercooler, and Ferrari use a oil, an oil-based intercooler and the idea is what they're doing is they're letting a, a, a little bit of oil leak into the combustion chamber and again the reason that oil burn works because oil doesn't burn as effectively as petrol is because you have a finite amount of petrol because of the fuel flow meter mercedes so you, were, yeah. were were um pretty much put their hands up to saying they were doing that and they were told to back off it weren't they earlier in everyone, the life of this everyone, engine everyone thought, exactly everyone found it a loophole the loophole was closed you cut the oil burn is complete the oil burn from the engine oil is completely monitored. This is oil burn from the intercooler oil, which only Ferrari has. And they were saying perhaps they're some of the oil burn, and what it is, it's extra combustible stuff over and above that 100 um, yeah. uh, kilograms. So whether or not you think Ferrari were bending the rules, and whether or not you think they just got a very low drag car, I read something um, uh, over the weekend that made me suddenly think, ah, that's a really good point. And that was Ferrari are mandated to provide everything the same on their engine, up and downy bits, electrical bits, as their two customer teams, yes. Alfa Romeo and Haas. Why had Alfa Romeo and Haas not seen the same power gains? So the uppy downy bits, uh, the greasy bits... And the electrical bits... ...are all the same. So it's ancillaries that are making the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the intercooler will be the same as well, but you can choose whether or not to have a leak or not, can't you? And how you, how you, how you manage you control the leak. that leak. And how certainly, the, leak. And certainly the, fuel flow, the fuel flow meter is completely outside the standard part issue. So that is the one thing where I, I suddenly think, yeah, possibly they've been clever. And let's be honest about this, they haven't, they've basically done that thing which Formula One loves, really, is they've broken the spirit of the rules without breaking the rule. But now they do it again, and they were doing that, they are breaking the rules. And that's why... They're saying they lost power. And there are other reasons why they lost power, obviously, because um, after the engine blow up, uh, Leclerc ended up on a generation older engine. We never saw how fast Seb was actually going to go because he had some issues. Uh, the, the understeer and the suspension broke, which can't you think that car was crocked from the first half lap. Yes. Um, but the issue is, if, if their big power advantage disappears, that the teams have finally worked out how to, to scupper them. Um, and, you know, Ferrari, I think possibly. You know, I don't want. To, I don't. Be, it just. It just. Uncontact. Why weren't the customers as quicker as well? Maybe they are doing something slightly iffy. Quick word, Nick, about the new regulations. Um, some people excited about them. Some people not. Uh, we've talked about suspension there. If you're going to have 18-inch rims, 
with much lower profile tyres, you're going to actually have to have more efficient suspension. That's the big thing that I've noticed. That's going to be a, a, a big change of design philosophy for suspension engineers in Formula One. Yeah, quite a lot of change um, that kind of came in, which you didn't know happening. Like the, the three-day weekend, they've, they've condensed that down to, they've taken all the official things out Thursday, so you're just running over three days. Uh, the fact that you've got to run rookie drivers for a couple of other sessions, so you have to get some, some, some time in for the drivers. There are some sweeping changes, yes. And then the 18-inch wheels are one of the bigger ones. They, they rode back from 18-inch wheels and no tyre warmers, which is probably a good idea. But at least for a couple of seasons, you'll have tyre blankets. Um, the concept has gone underfloor, downforce. It's um, limited front wing designs. It's, it's pretty much what they said you know, that they were going to do. They, the, the major concession the teams have won is the, is the reduction to standardised parts. So they, they still get to make their brakes and they still get to make their gearboxes so under slightly you know, more constrained circumstances. The, the cost cap's going to come in at £175 million plus your drivers, plus your marketing, plus your three most expensive employees. So realistically, about $300 million. And it all looks very interesting and they're all working towards a design and... Everyone's terribly positive that it's going to make cars easier to overtake. Um, what well, in exactly the same way as the last three iterations have, but let's—I mean, that's possibly maybe a is, tad too cynical. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They've started from the concept that that's what we want. so you know that's our concept. We're made. So this, this will do it. The simpler wing, the underfloor downforce, uh, the tyres are supposed to be redesigned to be not so sensitive to running in traffic. So you know, but the interesting thing is they're keeping DRS. So it might be an absolute piece of cake to get past the cars in the first season they, if they get everything right and you've got drs you only need to be you know it'll be so much easier to get past them it's hard you're going to end up with a you know a, a situation where you've got too much overtaking so okay well we'll we'll get more details of that and we'll see um how it goes when we get a bit closer to it uh, the teams will have to start designing and testing the cars eventually so uh, we get to see them uh top 10 point scorers at the weekend perez hulkenberg carlos Sainz, lando norris in the points again Daniel Ricciardo, Alexander Albon, um, uh, Charles Leclerc in fourth, and the podium, Verstappen, Hamilton and Bottas. Uh, four seconds between Bottas and Hamilton. Interesting. Um, it was interesting. The It's all down to the tyres again, and uh, the, the strategy calls. It, it's not perhaps for purists the nicest way to watch a Formula One race pull out, but I... I Work out. I actually, oh, I, didn't. I thought I, I, thought I quite like it. Pretty good race. I thought it was a pretty good race. The purist, John. I thought you know you had two alternate strategies. You had Lewis saying for once saying he didn't think his tyres were going to last, and they didn't, which is which is nice to know. Doesn't happen every now and again. Um, you know, Lewis coming back from a very poor qualifying. Uh, Valtteri having a good weekend, which is nice to see. The Ferraris not making getting on pole. Um, three teams in the mix. Ferrari grenaded themselves. I think that um, yeah, I think it's. I mean, yeah, it was quite nice to see. You know, Lewis. If it's just a bad day, I'm not trying to blame everybody. I think other people ought to listen to that. If you've had a bad day, just say you've had a bad day, and everyone will say that's fine and move on. What, whatever we thought about the event, big crowd, by the way. Um, they said it yeah. was up. They said it was up 28. percent um, It was pretty low last year and the year before from the, the heady heights of the, the first couple of three years. But that was back to its best. There was new grandstands. There was new viewing areas. There was more hospitality than I've ever seen there. It looked good. Impossible to know this, but I'm going to put that out there. I wonder if having it on ESPN with no uh, in the states with no ad breaks uh, is beginning to have an effect. Uh, there were certainly some more 
uh, international visitors there. Um, but just up the road was a NASCAR race uh, as well. However, uh, second place, 18 points, more than enough. Uh, in fact, he only needed to be eighth and get four points. Hamilton now can enjoy the joy of six uh, world <laughs> champion. You knew I was going to say that. Six world yeah. championships moves ahead uh, of everybody except Michael Schumacher. It, it should really have put to rest all of the nonsense that people talk about Hamilton. According to some people, he's only won these six titles because he's had the best car every year. You and other people keep telling me he hasn't had the best car every year. Now six world championships. Surely people have got to give him the credit that he deserves. I think, um, yeah, up there with, certainly up there with the the living greats, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you can't, I can't think of anyone who is a, a, a better representative and a better sportsman and more successful. And, um, and I personally conducted himself very well on the whole. You know, he had a personal journey during the 13 years he's been doing it. And it was, well, you know, if you start at 21 and end up at 34, we all do. Um, what I thought was very good, and I think it's an interesting point, he effectively, you know, given the way the F1 is, was going to win that, was going to win the world championship, whether he turned up and just trolled round and finished in sixth, which is the lowest you're going to finish with one of the top three cars. He qualified for it, had a bad day, but all that did was fire himself up and he wanted to win that race. He didn't need to win the race. He was, me, all he was thinking about was winning the race and how he could win the race and how he could beat his teammate and how he could win the race. He wasn't bothered about winning the world championship. He was bothered about winning another race. And that mm. is, you know, you know, a very admirable, you know, you see a lot of guys doing what I would call the sensible thing. And when they need nine points to win a championship, make sure they get 12, even though they're 25 for a win. They just, just cruise it through, take zero risk. But, you know, Lewis was out there trying to win. And, you know, uh, you know the, the best car, worst car, you know, how many people have actually won a world championship in a, in a, in a dud? Very few. You know, you know, the second best car has occasionally won. This is the first year that Valtteri is going to finish second. Um, he's wrapped that up. Um, I believe that they've not had the best car by any means in the last three seasons. They've had one of the best cars, but you know you only have to look at the quality of, of, of you know, the, where Ferrari have lost it. It certainly wasn't in the basic engineering. So well, you could make a case, a pretty strong case, for the points that Ferrari have dumped out because of either mistakes from their drivers, uh, bad tactics or frankly no tactics at all um in the last three seasons you could make a case for um ferrari drivers having won the championship or at least been closer to um lewis in the last three seasons if the, if the mercedes had been driven by valtteri bottas and barry bottas his twin brother then they would have won two of the last three world championships because lewis actually won those championships against the against the lot the odds in many ways um, I think it's, it's a spurious conversation. He is, you know, you can't compare against the eras. He is one of the all-time greats. And the thing you have to remember about being in the best car and being with the best team is that is actually a talent in itself. And I hold before the court a Mr. F. Alonso. Oh, absolutely. Who's unable to do that. And he might be quick and he might be this and he might be that. But he managed to burn so many bridges that and make so many bad decisions that he ended up being not in the best car. And don't forget, when Lewis went from McLaren to Mercedes, a large percentage of people thought he was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we were never really thinking, you know, you're not going to be anything with them. And, and, you know, he bought, and the car in the first year was, you know, and also ran. Don't forget, that was the year where Seb won 13 races, I think, of the 20. Mm-hmm. 
being in the best car is, an, is an equally a skill as being with the best team, as being the best driver, as being the best qualifier. And then you, you rack it up by having the other turns that keep it going. Um, it's like know, any it, driver who marshals the team around him. Now, you know, yeah. you can talk about number ones and number two drivers in terms of the rankings within teams. But when you look at somebody like Prost or Mansell back through the years who cleverly made sure that the team was all about him and, you know, Mansell in, in particular, a lot of people didn't like Mansell outside of the team. His mechanics would have crawled over, broke a glass for him. Uh, both in Formula One and in IndyCar, particularly in IndyCar, spoken to a few people who were on his car. It's about the whole package. What you're saying is it's about the whole package. And the whole package is being in the right car at the right time and making those decisions. So I'll throw this at you then. If Lewis, instead of, of going to Mercedes when he went to Mercedes from McLaren, had gone to Ferrari instead, could he have coalesced Ferrari around him and found success there. My feeling is, I think, you know, he's in a place where he feels at home and whether uh, and he's well supported. I think on sheer driver talent against the differences in the cars, of the last three seasons, he would have won two of them in a Ferrari. In 17, they had a fade which wasn't related to the driver, apart from the smack-up in Singapore, um, which was caused by, by Vettel's brain fade. They had a technical fade as well. Now, you have to say, well, does that get avoided? The car was good enough to win the World Championship with the right driver. Well, a driver better than Lewis Hamilton, which there isn't one, so let's say Lewis Hamilton in 17, 18, and 19. And the fact is that they have... Ferrari have consistently blown good positions and, and it's, it's hard to work out where the problems are because they seem to have a well-organized team. They seem to, they, 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 it, you know, what happened in Austin, the cars just disappeared from view despite being well, and, completely competitive during all the, all the warm-up sessions. And, and Mexico, exactly the same. And yet, when we get to Barcelona for the pre-race testing next year, we'll have the same excitement from everybody that's there saying this is it this is the turning point the Ferrari's much better than everybody else they're, they're going to yeah. be there it's good I, I, you kind of think, it's one of those things where you, you do think at some point they will get it right just by because well, you know, we said they, that they, for they, long they, enough about McLaren well, and, yeah, and it's I mean, sort uh, of coming right they, now yeah they've taken seven six years seven years um, and Andrea's side Ferrari, Ferrari yeah exactly Ferrari are missing Nothing obvious. You know, they are... The car, it's a good car. It doesn't work at every track. No car does. But some tracks, it is head and shoulders above everything else. Um, the organisation seems okay, but they, make, they, they they do have a weakness in their drivers. And the weakness is that, in fairness to Sebastian, he has pulled his socks up in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, still not at a level he should be at. And Leclerc is still a bit wobbly, but you think with another year's experience, you kind of think they they should be moving forward. But as you said, John, we keep saying that. Yeah. Um, Let's go back to Hamilton then, uh, showing no signs that he's ready to uh, hang up his race boots and move on. How old is he? 34? The thing is with Hamilton, that even if he has a sore-sore season, so long as nobody else dominates, he could still be in with a shout of a championship, couldn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think you know he's he's driving as well as ever. He's got another, you know, I'm sure he'll do another three years uh, this year really? and sign another contract 
2120. Yeah, I'm sure he'll do that. And they take the 37 and he decide what to do. Whether he wins a championship or not is going to depend, obviously, on, on the relative performance as a team, not just as a car of, of the three top teams. So, it, it, you know, it kind of gets closer every time. And, and you know, he's won this way. Everyone's told Mercedes got the best engine. He's won this year without the best engine. So there's nothing to say he wouldn't do it again. But it, the, the, the really remarkable statistic about this particular race, this season, sorry, is, is the best qualifier in F1 history. He's only been on pole four times out of 19. And he's still won, you know, 10-11 races. Which is still won a championship. Yeah. yeah. And he's still, you know, won it with two races to spare. Um, and made it look and and just done it by sort of relentless point scoring. So it's quite different from the last couple of years where he's suddenly you know put a huge run in the second half of the season. This this point he's just and, he, and he, having that relentless point scoring and and having Ferrari dropping the ball has enabled Mercedes to switch focus to next year way earlier than normal. Two races to go. Uh, we'll be talking more about this, of course, in our Formula One review show, which will be after Abu Dhabi. Before that. Uh, we'll be talking about Brazil, which is a couple. Of, is that two weeks time? Is that this weekend? No, two weeks, that and then it's into December for uh, Abu Dhabi. Yes. But yeah, I think that Lewis will want to make sure that he doesn't give much momentum to Bottas. I think that Verstappen fancies himself uh, in Brazil. He obviously should have won um, last year. If he hadn't had to come in to go with Ocon. So yeah, I think I think there's still a couple of interesting races to go. But first and second is decided, as is. Um, the instructors, I think there's still kind of a, a row about uh, between uh, Verstappen and uh, Leclerc. Um, it looks like Vettel's going to finish fifth in the end. So it's a, yeah, and then I'll talk about other battles. There's just a couple of races which you can just watch and enjoy for the racing. It doesn't matter who you support, it's not going to affect anything. It's just enjoy the races. Yeah, just go out and effectively all you're thinking about is um, who's going to win the race, which, you know, is mm. not the worst thing. All right, Nick, thanks very much indeed. You're welcome. And enjoy the rest of the week that I'm not where for. Nick Damon talking uh, earlier in the week. Yes. I've got a point about this uh, Ferrari cheating. Um, and actually, it's pretty obvious, really, isn't it, that if you want to f- think about how they were getting all that extra speed in qualifying and not in the race, you've got to think it's something they can't do in the race because it would compromise something else if they did it for such a long period of time and mm. running out of fuel or running out of oil are two of those very things mm. yes uh, bad news for Nico Hulkenberg uh, because there's nowhere for him to drive there, is, there are fewer and fewer <laughs> places for him to drive because Antonio Giovinazzi has uh, agreed a contract extension with Alfa Romeo so he'll be there next year where does Hulk go? He just want to go to sports car racing. He said that most categorically. There uh, don't appear to be any F1 seats left. Uh, and which F1 drivers just launched a kart team today? Kart team? Yes. Ah, I, I, kart with a K. Sorry, you mean kart with a K. Oh, I've got no idea. I've missed that completely. Sorry. It is I, Leclerc. Really? Mm. Is that what it's called? It would be fantastic if it was. It's not, no. It is I. I-T-I-S-I. That that would be a brilliant name for his car to team. It really would. Uh, Tim Kim is getting very excited while we're listening to Nick there. He's already found next week's pointless press release of the uh, week. Oh, it's fantastic. And that's, uh, I think it's difficult for anything to come in and supersede that. Can we talk about sports cars, though? Uh, yes, we can. And a the big weekend. Oh, right, OK, yes. I want to go first, because mm-hmm. they have, un- uh, well, VLN and N24 have announced some new rules. 
This is about the Nordic Life for Driver permits. And. Uh, yeah, so as we call them, the uh, Deutsche Motorsportbund permit Nordschleifer. Or just the licenses. Um, no, the permits is uh, what it's um, euphemistically known as, or colloquially known as, excuse me. Um, on the face of it, it would look like it makes life a little bit easier in the past. You've had to do, if you wanted to do the 24 hours, you've had to get a Class A permit, even if you didn't drive a Class A car. Yes. Uh, now that's not the case. It's it's. I'm not sure it's ever been like this when this permit system has been on, but Class B permit for VLN is good enough if you want to do VLN and don't want to go into the higher classes of cars, so things like the GT3 cars, SP8s, SP10s, but you can do some of the Cup cars and some of the lower power cars. And in fact, that's what you've got to start in. Anybody's got to start in that. There's a really good programme coming up on Sky Sports F1 uh, in the near future, all about how Martin Brundle had to go through that, all of that, and then him racing with Alex, which we covered on uh, on the network, of course. Uh, that's changed now. Now you will be able to drive with a B permit, a B-class car, effectively, in the 24 hours, which is a change. They've also changed the uh, requirements to qualify for uh, Class A licence. Yeah, they've made that a bit harder, it looks like to me. Uh, quite a lot harder. Mm. Previously, you just had to do two uh, VLN races and finish within the top 75% of uh, finishers in your class. Now you can do that in one race, but the other race you have to be in the top 33% of the uh, cars in your class, which is uh, very difficult if there's only two cars in your class. Yes, exactly. Exactly so. But it does mean that if you're quite happy to drive the smaller uh, capacity cars and the lower category cars, that you can do that having just done a couple of VLN races, which... Again, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but okay, that's They've great. They've increased the minimum number of laps you have to yes. complete under race conditions to 18. It was 16, I think, before. Oh, no, no, it was 18. It was, was it 18? Yes, it was. Okay. It was, because I remember Martin having to do two nine-lap stints. Um, and because one of the races was shortened, it meant he had to do a bit more in the second race. Uh, so that's, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, obviously, we'll give you some news about VLN. And the calendar is out, and as soon as we get the details of what we're covering next year for VLN and N24, we'll let you know. It's a busy weekend this weekend. Uh, Race of Remembrance, the Michelin Encore, the Michelin Encore, and, of course, the FIA WEC moves on to Shanghai. The big news there this weekend, so all the usual uh, suspects there, of course. It'll be uh, Johnny Palmer leading the coverage across the weekend, which is a all dark 30 for quali and for the race. It's uh, the very reasonable 5.55. Oh, really? For quali Qualifying. And, the, and the races? No, the race, is, uh, the race is well before anyone needs to get up in the morning. The biggest, Im- the biggest uh, FIA, WEC, ACO news is the announcement that we've sort of been trailing for a little while. It started about 18 months ago, and then it's gone quiet that the top class of WEC and ACO racing from the next set of regulations, whatever that is called, it doesn't have a name yet, uh, but that's the potential prototypes and road car class, will have a single manufacturer. There was a tender process. Michelin uh, won out in the bidding war. Uh, Goodyear Dunlop were very much interested in that, and I hear there were uh, other potential uh, interests there that perhaps didn't come to a full bid. And that means for the first time that the top class 
will be a spec tyre. Shea Adam has stayed with us. That's a big change of direction. I understand why the ACO have done it. They're trying to replace funds that they've lost from big manufacturers like Porsche and and Audi. Uh, How's that going to affect the racing? I suppose it's going to depend how Michelin attack this and whether they go the route they've got in IMSA with everybody using the same tyre and a single compound uh, or whether they stay with confidential tyres, which is what they do with their customers in LMP1 at the moment. Hello, Shay. Oh, and we have lost Shay. Uh, so that's the question that I want answered anyway, uh, Tim, uh, from What do you think that. they'll do? I think they'll probably do something in between and there'll be a couple of compounds, but ultimately everybody will get... Um, you know, Michelin have had to pay for this, so that's slight difference. So they... I, I'm not sure they'll want to do as much tyre development for each individual car or manufacturer. Indeed. So, so the issue with that will be, and we've seen this happen with um, GT tyres at times, where you'll get a tyre that suits one configuration of cars better than another. So maybe it's better for a mid-engine car than it was for a front-engine car. And we saw that happening, didn't we, with Aston Martin, when they swapped tyre companies for the the AM cars and then they actually went back to the other tyres, the other manufacturer uh, I, I, as I say I understand why they're doing it I understand the imperative of getting the funds in, I heard some time ago that they might even so, so what we're expecting is the LMP2 that will go out to tender that might be Michelin, it might be someone else Dunlop, Goodyear rather um, obviously interested in that Hankook uh, have shown interest so have Falcon and Continental, either as Continental or with the Hoosier brand, certainly very interested in GT tyres. And what I heard some time ago, um, before this announcement, when it was first mooted, was that that it might uh, even be two separate contracts Ooh. for... Front and rear. No, for no. GT Pro and GT Am. So... Uh, at the moment, the other three categories are still open tyre formula, but the strong suspicion is that that will happen uh, happen to uh, that will also go to a spec tyre. Might be worth speaking to someone from the the ACO and uh, see if we can get someone from the technical department or indeed the marketing department because I'm not sure who's looking after that deal. One interesting fact to come out of that was that the deal has been done by Michelin North America, who are now looking after the global motorsport uh, function for Michelin. So maybe we can talk to Sarah Robinson about that at the weekend. On the Encore, uh, which is Friday and Saturday, Sound and Vision from Sebring. We've got Race of Remembrance, audio only, Mm. and also exclusive free coverage of the WEC. But uh, that's all there's time for tonight, I think. Uh, I've got some very, very quick Asian news. Go. Uh, three stories from the Asian Le Mans series, which uh, starts again later this month. T2 Motorsports are entering. It's an uh, Indonesian team. It's going to be led by Rio Harianto, who uh, you may remember from GP2. Uh, Japanese uh, Le Mans Owners Club uh, is also going to take part with a Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo in the GT3 class. And uh, Matthias Besch and James Winslow will join Kuba Smichowski in the uh, Inter-Europol competition Ligier 
Uh, so that's uh, three announcements in the Asian Le Mans series that have happened in the last 48 hours. And a final comment on our top story as we bring it all back to the beginning. I can't Matthew remember what that was. Oh, it's uh, Penske. Penske. Um, Roger Penske called it the IRL. And Matthew Heinemann says on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective on Facebook, regarding the IRL name, I've been told... Uh, that the series is still legally called the Indy Racing League, but trades under IndyCar. Okay, so maybe Roger was absolutely correct. That's something we can look into. Thanks to Dex and to Jim Cameron, also to David Brabham tonight, to to Nick earlier on in the week, to Tim up in London, to Shea in Fort Lauderdale, and of course to the responsible adult who is everywhere. There's no time to explain... Because the llama is off to Florida. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.